Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Uh, If you're new to Crosslink, or maybe this is your first time back in a long time, we are in this emphasis where we are trusting God to do greater things. And we've been studying the book of Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, and we're being reminded of what it looks like uh, to live by faith. And so we thank you for being here, and I pray that God will speak to our hearts and our lives in a powerful way this morning. As we get started today, I want to ask you a very simple question that I imagine uh, we can all relate to on some level and in some way. And that question is simply this. Have you ever messed up? Have you ever messed up? Have you ever made a mistake? You did something that you didn't intend to, did something maybe you thought you never would, but but you messed up along the way. Uh, Sometimes that can be quite humorous when we have mess ups in life. And in fact, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking back to my days when I was at Liberty University. I was a college student. And I remember very specifically that I was dating Heather Richardson and we had gotten engaged. And so we were engaged to be married. We literally were a few months away from marriage. And, and I was excited. I was getting ready to graduate with my undergraduate degree and then start seminary and all these different things. And, and I remember one day I'd had a conversation with Heather at the chapel service at Liberty. And so uh, I had told her, hey, you know, uh, I've got this next class or two. And then after that, we'll meet up at a location. And so sure enough, uh, we made plans. And so I knew a few hours after chapel, I would be seeing Heather in this specific academic building. And so I finished my classes. I had like, you know, like a 10 minute spurt to go see her. And so I'm running across campus. I go into this academic building and sure enough, up in the distance, I see Heather. Now there was one little kind of detail that I can't leave out. And that is that I didn't actually see Heather, her back was to me. You know what I mean? Like I saw her, I knew that it was her, but I didn't see her face. She was up in the distance and she was having a conversation with another one of her friends. And so I determined that I would come up from behind and I would surprise her, you know, like sweep her off her feet kind of thing. And so I saw her from the distance and I, and I ran up behind her and I'm sure Liberty had a rule against this or something, but I didn't care in the moment I was engaged. And so I put my arms around her shoulders and I said, hey, sweetheart, And as she turned around, she said, hey, baby, the only problem is this. It ain't Heather. It was not Heather. In fact, it was a girl that about six months earlier, a friend of mine had said, man, that girl really reminds me a lot of Heather. And I was like, no way, never a chance. And sure enough, um, so yes, I put my arms around another woman and she called me baby. It was a very, very crazy scene. But nonetheless, I had messed up, right? And uh, that's just how things were in that moment. Here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is, There are lots of mess ups in life. And sometimes when they're lighthearted like that, they can be kind of humorous, right? Sometimes they can be, ah, that's crazy, that's silly, whatever. We've all made some mistakes along the way. But spiritually, when we grieve God, when we know what is right and we do our own thing anyway, when we know what God has called us to do and we do the opposite, when we go to God has called us not to do something and we do it anyway, when we grieve the heart of God, it's not a laughing matter. It's a very serious thing. And in fact, we learn that from the illustration that we see from God's word today in the life of a man named Samson. Now, I have to tell you this morning that when we're reading through Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, the Bible reminds us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's, that's what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we're reading the story of men and women, lives that God used in extraordinary ways. They weren't extraordinary people. They were ordinary people, but God did extraordinary things through them as they walked and lived by faith. And, and truth be told, when you're reading through the various characters of Hebrews 11, we read their name and we're like, well, yeah, of course, David. Of course, Abraham. Yes, absolutely, Moses. I mean, this makes sense. Even Sarah, like, yes, it makes sense, like how God was working and moving through these men and these women in extraordinary ways as they demonstrated faith in God. But then in the midst of that, we come to a character that frankly seems strange to us. When you study his life, like, you almost sit back wondering, Why in the world was he included in the hall of faith? The man's name is Samson. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, 
Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, listen to what they did, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. In fact, it's that latter phrase that we would think of when we think of Samson, that is, from weakness they were made strong. Now, if you have your Bibles today, I'm gonna to ask you to take them with me and open to the Old Testament pastor scripture, Judges chapter 16. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture or don't have the Bible with you, you can turn there. The words will be here on the screen in just a moment. But from Judges chapter 16, God brings us to the final chapter of Samson's life. The final chapter. But before we read that, I think it's important for us to consider the context of who Samson was. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 13 that the story of Samson begins because the children of Israel once again had done evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, we'll read through the book of Judges and really through much of the Old Testament, this unfortunate destructive theme that the Israelites knew what God called them to do, but they rejected God. They turned to their own direction. They once again did evil in the sight of God. In fact, seven times in the book of Judges, we see the chapter begin with that statement. They once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the result of them doing evil in the sight of the Lord is that there were consequences for their sin. They experienced great judgment from God because they abandoned God and did their own thing. And in Samson's day, that judgment took place in the form of an army called the Philistines. Can you say Philistines? We don't hear a lot about them today, but we do read about them all throughout the Old Testament. They were a pagan people who denied the existence of Jehovah God and instead worshiped many false gods. And in the process of them worshiping false gods, not only did they deny the existence of the true God of heaven, but they did everything they can, could to get rid of all the people who claimed to believe in the true God of heaven. The Philistine army was a very cruel army and yet a very powerful army. They did everything they could to harass the people of God and ultimately to get rid of the people of God. But God in his mercy had a plan. God in his mercy had a plan to deliver the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. God in his mercy had a plan that through the Israelites that God would spare them. And one day through the Israelites, he would send his son to be the savior of the world. And so God was working on behalf of the Israelites to deliver them and to help them. God's plan included a man by the name of Samson. Now, it's interesting to study God's word and realize that many of the times that God was working and moving, God answered in the way of sending a baby. In fact, there are four different times in scripture that God worked in an extraordinary way to send an angel to parents to say, I'm going to give you a child. We see that with Isaac in the Old Testament, with Abraham and Sarah. We see that with John the Baptist in the New Testament. We see that with God's own son, Jesus. We see that God had a plan that involved the sending of a child. But the fourth illustration of that in scripture is when God sent a child named Samson. The name Samson literally means sunshine or brightness. So picture the scene. God is looking at the world that is filled with all sorts of darkness. His people are being oppressed and they're being destroyed by a wicked people called the Philistines. And in the midst of that dark world, God sends a bright light in the way of sending a child simply known as Samson. Samson, the Bible tells us, was the strongest man who ever lived. Samson was a man's man. Samson was so strong that us as men, we would look at him and say, man, if I just had a portion of that strength, you know, like I want to be strong like Samson. That's who he was. So Samson was strong. Samson had a clear purpose that he was sent to be a light in a dark world, but he also had a clear calling from God. We understand from Judges chapter 13, that the angel spoke to Samson's parents before he was born, and here's what the angel said. The angel said very, very clearly, the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, for he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In other words, God was saying to his parents, my calling for your son is very clear. He is to be a Nazarite for me. 
Now we know in the Old Testament from Numbers chapter six, someone could take a Nazarite vow. And that means that they were consecrated, they were devoted completely to God for his purposes and for his service. In being a Nazarite, that meant three primary things would mark him as a man separated to God. Number one from Numbers chapter six, a Nazarite could not and would not eat of the fruit of the vine. What grows on a vine? Grapes. And so a Nazarite could not eat grapes, could not eat the skin of a grape, could not eat the seed of a grape, nor could they drink wine. Not only did the Nazarite not drink wine, but a Nazarite, secondly, would not touch a dead body because touching a dead body would make them ceremonially unclean and therefore it would hinder them in their worship of God. And the third mark is that the person who took a Nazarite vow, for as long as they were doing what God called them to do, they would not cut their hair. I'm glad we don't have that vow today, okay? Because I wouldn't want long hair and you wouldn't want me to have it either, probably, because it'd be way too great. But anyway, a Nazarite vow, they would not cut their hair. Why? Because it was simply an outward sign of the vow that they had made inwardly to God. That's what a Nazarite vow was. So Samson had a purpose for his existence, but he also had a calling to be a Nazarite. The Hebrew word Nazir literally means to be separated and to be consecrated. So here is Samson. I'm going to this link because I'm wanting to paint the picture for you. Here is a guy who had his whole life in front of him. This guy was set up to be the next great leader of Israel. I mean, if there was anyone that we could look at and say, wow, God's hand must be on him. Think of that for a moment. God clearly had a purpose for his life. God clearly had a calling to be a Nazarite. He had godly parents who loved him and poured into him. He had the presence of God and he had the spirit of God work so strongly that he was the strongest man who ever lived. If anyone could succeed in life, it was Samson. If anyone could do great things for God, it was Samson. If anyone should be the leader above all leaders, it should have been or could have been Samson. But today, as we read this final chapter of his life, unfortunately, we find that things were very, very different than we'd probably expect. I want us to read it together. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're going to begin reading in Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to read down for now to verse 21. Listen to what the Bible says. After this, it came about that he, this is Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They are bribing her. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, if they buy me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I'll become weak and be like any other man. The lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried and she bound him with them. Now she had been lying in wait in the inner room and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you've deceived me and told me lies. Now, please tell me how you may be bound. So he said to her, if they, if they bind me with tightly with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Strong dude. Then Delilah said to Samson, up to now, you've deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her the third time, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web and she fastened it with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web, just like he'd done the other times. Verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? Do you hear the tone in her voice? How, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. 
It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> That's not what the sermon's about, but I find it kind of humorous. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. Verse 20, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep just like he had before. And he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. He thought he was fine. But listen to the next statement. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that this truth, this message from the life of Samson would speak to us directly where we are today. God, would you convict us today and would you direct us today that we would turn to you and be changed in a way that only you can do. We love you and praise you. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Trusting God when you've messed up. Trusting God when you've messed up. Knowing all the good things about Samson's life, his purpose, his calling, his strength, his background, his legacy, the investment his parents have made in him, frankly, it's hard to understand how he ever got to this point in Judges chapter 16. I mean, just to be honest about it, as I'm reading the pastor scripture and I'm thinking about his purpose and his calling and all that God had done in his life, and now I read the final chapter in Judges chapter 16, I find myself looking at Samson asking some questions. What happened? How in the world did you get to this place? You were meant to be a leader. You had God's hand on your life. You had God's calling upon your life. You were separated to God to be used for him, to be a holy vessel unto him. How in the world did things go so wrong, Samson? But you know, as I think about all the questions and all the things that seem confusing about that, I'm reminded that the answer to those questions are the same answers that you and I so readily face in our own life. Truth of the matter is, the answer to what happened where it went all wrong, how he could get to this point in Judges chapter 16, the answer is a simple and yet profound one-word answer. And the answer is this. It is sin. What went wrong? There was sin. Where, where did it all fall apart? There was sin in the life of Samson. The Bible tells us that all of us in Romans chapter 3, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin literally is a term of archery. It means to miss the mark. And it's painting for us a spiritual picture to say that God is holy and God is perfect and God is righteous and God is true. He is completely perfect. And yet in and of ourselves, every single one of us, all of us have sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of his glory. We've all said some things. We've all done some things. We've all thought some things that were not perfect and were not holy. They were not true. They were not righteous. Every single one of us have sinned against God. The fact of the matter is, that's where we find Samson in this pastor scripture. And I wanted to see this morning in that context as I look at Samson's life and I see the sin that took place in his life, it brings me a question of wondering, why did he sin? What led him to this place where he would sin against God? What led him to this end result? And many people would say, well, pastor, that's easy. He had a sinful nature, so he did wrong. And that's true of every single one of us. But what specific things led to that? And I believe God begins to map out for us in his word several things that led Samson to this place of sin. So three things I want you to see this morning in our time together. The first is the choice of sin. 
the choice of sin. Now, every single person since Adam has been born with a sinful nature. And what that means is naturally, in and of ourselves, we are rebellious towards the things of God. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to a child, you do not have to teach a child how to lie? You don't. Have you ever noticed that you do not have to teach a child how to argue and be mean to a sibling or disrespectful to a parent? You don't have to teach them that. Have you ever even noticed that you don't have to teach a child that they can't steal other people's toys? Like they just naturally do these things, right? Like why? Because we are all born with a sinful nature. In and of ourselves, we naturally, in our human nature, go to things that are contrary to the ways and the will of God. That is who we are as people. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is who you still are. You are still given to your sinful nature. It masters you, it controls you, and it leads you in all sorts of different ways. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you put your faith in the one who died on the cross for all your sins, on the one who conquered sin and death and hell, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Bible makes it very, very clear. We don't have to keep giving into that. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't allow it to happen so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but rather present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why? For sin shall not be master over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. In other words, at the very moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sins and you are set free and you are given a new nature, a nature that would desire to please God and to honor God. And so within a Christian, there's this kind of warring taking place. We have the spirit of God to lead us into the things of God, but we still have this old man that we must master and we must choose to not feed, but instead to walk in the Holy Spirit. What I want us to see this morning in the life of Samson and even in our own life is that to sin is a choice. Well, what leads us to that type of choice? I believe from Samson's life and from our own, we see four powerful truths that lead us to make the choice of sin. Number one, we choose to sin when we are drawn away by our own flesh. We are drawn away by our own flesh. Listen to what the book of James says. James chapter one, verses 14 through 15, it says this, but each one, can you say each one? Each one, that's you, that's me, it doesn't matter, any race, creed, color, whatever. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The key word in that pastor scripture is the word lust which describes the fleshly desires and cravings that we have that are against the ways of God. In fact, not only are those lusts against the ways of God, but we often do things against the ways of God in order to meet those lusts and those cravings. And the Bible says several things about that. First, it says, we each have our own lust. In other words, not a single one of us here today is perfect. Every single one of us have an area or areas of weakness that we struggle with. Every single one of us. It may be that we struggle with pride. It may be that there's a lust in the area of anger or in our speech and our language, the things that we're saying. It may be that we have a lust in the area of sexual temptation. It may be that we have a lust as it relates to lies and deceptions and exaggerations to build ourselves up. But every single one of us have an area of struggle in the, in the specific context of lust. But secondly, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, we are enticed by those lusts. We are enticed by those lusts. And the word enticed literally was a word that was used in that culture to describe the baiting of a hook. Now, any fisherman here today, got any fishermen out here? Anybody that wishes they were a fisherman? Okay, you'd love to be doing that instead of the job you currently have. I, I, I'm not a professional fisherman by any stretch of the imagination, but I do enjoy fishing. And I've learned in the process of fishing that you, you, you set your bait based upon what you're fishing for. 
If I'm fishing for bass, I'm going to use a certain type of bait, uh, uh, maybe a power bait or some sort of a, a fake worm or maybe some sort of a thing that's going to spin across the top of the water if, if it's a certain time of the day. That's what I'm going to use. If I'm going to be fishing for brim, I know what I'm going to use. If I'm going to fish for catfish, I'm going to have a different type of bait. But here's what I do. And every time as I'm fishing, if I want to catch a fish, I use a bait. I don't take a naked, bare, empty hook and throw it out in the water and hope for the best, Right? I don't throw out an empty hook and pray and say, all right, God, here we go. Put the big one on there, you know. I'm ready for jaws. That's not how it works. No, you bait the hook. You do something that you know is going to be appealing to the type of fish you're trying to catch. And so you bait the hook and you throw it out into the water. And there, there are even different ways that you might pull that, that fishing pole, things you might do with a line. Why? Because you're trying to convince the fish that this is good for them. But the fish is dumb. He doesn't know that on the other side of that worm or the other side of that bait, he doesn't know that there's a hook that's going to capture him and have him cling. He doesn't know that he's about to be my dinner. Why? Because he's enticed. When the Bible talks about our lust, it's literally saying Satan, the enemy, he wars against us with temptations and with our flesh and he baits the hook and he throws it out to us and we're looking at it. We go, oh, that looks good. Oh, that would feel good. Oh, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. And we take of it. And the Bible says our lust, it draws us away from the things of God. It entices us. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. No temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. So here is what our lust does. We see that clearly in the life of Samson. Samson was drawn away by his own flesh. Now let me take a few moments over the next few points to kind of give you a summary of what happened in Samson's life from Judges 13 to Judges 15. And by the end of the message, we'll get to this final chapter in Judges 16. Samson was drawn away by his own flesh as he had two primary lusts. First was the lust of pleasure and secondly, the lust of pride. Samson was the strongest man who ever lived. But morally, he was incredibly weak. It doesn't matter how strong you might be physically. It doesn't matter how successful you might be in the context of the corporate world. The reality is there is no substitute for moral weakness. He was a morally weak man. In Judges chapter 14, we see this early on as Samson is now old enough to marry. And in Judges chapter 14, Samson looks at the Philistines. Remember, these are the people who do not believe in God. These are the people who oppose the things of God. They worship false gods. And the Bible says that Samson found a woman amongst the Philistines and he wanted to marry her. And his parents said, no, Samson, that's not good. She's a Philistine. She doesn't believe in God. She doesn't have our same convictions. She's not going to bring you up and sharpen you like iron sharpens iron. No, Samson, that's not good. And the Bible says that Samson said in Judge 14, verse 3, no, go get her for me. And here's the basis, for she looks good to me. In other words... I am given in to the lust of my eyes and the lust of my flesh. She looks good. She is who I want. She is going to be my wife. It didn't matter to him in that moment that she didn't believe in God. It didn't matter to him in that moment that even his parents had said, no, time out. This isn't good. He was led by his lust and not by the Lord. Now, the Lord allowed Samson to go his own direction. And even in God's sovereignty, he was able to work through that to accomplish his ultimate purpose. But Samson was being mastered by his fleshly passions instead of mastering them instead. We also see his lust of pride. As we see throughout Judges 14 and 15, we see that he is a vengeful man. Every time he thinks he's done wrong, he turns around with revenge and he destroys more and more Philistines and he lives with this kind of get even mentality and get ahead of them mentality. He was drawn away by his own flesh. The second thing we see about Samson, not only is that he was drawn away by his flesh, but the second choice of sin that I think is important is we, we, we choose to sin when we're drawn away by our own flesh, but secondly, we choose to sin when we disregard God's plan. When we disregard God's plan. One of the things that stands out about Samson, frankly, is that he did not seek the Lord. Now picture this for a moment. God is with him. God has a clear purpose for his life, a clear calling for his life, and God is raising him up to be the strong deliverer amongst the Israelites. But there's something strangely missing from his life, and that is this. He doesn't take time to seek the Lord. 
And you're looking at this like, what in the world are you doing? He doesn't seek the Lord. Why? Because he's depending upon himself. He's depending upon his abilities. He's depending upon his power. He's depending upon his understanding. It leads into a place of disregarding God's plan. For example, in Judges chapter 14, the Bible tells us that one day he was going to, to visit this woman of the Philistines that he wanted to be his wife. And the Bible tells us that as he was making his way to her hometown to go see her, that he went as far as the vineyards. Now, that doesn't sound like much to us when you're reading it in the context of Scripture, but think of this for just a moment. Samson had a direct route that he could go to get to her house, but instead of going to that route, he went another direction to make sure that he went through the vineyards. That sounds innocent. But remember, as a Nazarite called by God, what was he to abstain from? Grapes. He couldn't have anything of the grapes, couldn't have the, the vine, couldn't have the wine, couldn't have the flesh. He couldn't have nothing. But it's odd to us to state that he went into the vineyard thinking nothing of it. Now, we don't know that he ate them. We don't know why he was there, but he went there almost kind of tempting himself like, why would he even be there? He thought there would be no harm. But interestingly enough, the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 14, as he walks into the vineyard and he's passing through this area that he should have never been in in the first place, suddenly a lion appears to attack him. Time out for just a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 5, what is Satan compared to? A lion who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Literally, the Bible says that we have an adversary, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Hello, here is Samson in a place of compromise, and suddenly he's face to face with a lion. Even then, though, God gave him power and God gave him strength. And the Bible says that God killed, that, that Samson killed the lion with his bare hands. That's a man for you, okay? Kills the lion with his bare hands. He leaves the carcass in the vineyard. He makes his way to go see his wife, soon-to-be wife. He spends a few days with her. And then a few days later, he leaves her house to go back home. Does he go the straight way home? No. Why? Because he's living his life disregarding God's plan. He's not valuing it. He's not thinking highly of it. He's living his life, frankly, in a place of compromise. Please hear me very, very clearly this morning. We are always vulnerable to the enemy's attack when we put ourselves in situations of compromise. So he goes back through the vineyard. He didn't go the straight way. He goes back through the vineyard, maybe to get more grapes, maybe to gloat of what he did to the lion. I don't know, but he goes out of his way. He goes over to the vineyard. And as he goes to the vineyard, lo and behold, sure enough, there's the carcass of the lion. And all of a sudden he notices something strange. There are bees that have created a hive in the carcass of the lion. Now remember, the second part of that Nazarite vow is, no, no grapes. And the second part is, don't touch a dead body. It'll make you unclean. You're not gonna be able to worship God in the same way. And the Bible says he's looking at the bees and he notices they've got honey in that carcass. Now, I don't know how he did this without getting stung. Uh, maybe he got stung and didn't care. I don't know, but here's the deal. The deal is his appetite was more important than his convictions and commitment to God. Anytime your appetite is more important than your convictions and commitment to God, you are in a dangerous place. So here's what he did. The Bible says that he, he scooped down and he scraped out of that body, that carcass. He scraped all the honey he could get and he began to eat. In fact, we know that he knew it was wrong because he took it straight home and he took it to his mom and dad and said, oh, enjoy this honey. But he did not tell them where the honey came from. He hid it from them. Oh, they'll never know. What they don't know won't hurt them. I mean, it was just me and that lion out there and he was dead anyway. Nobody knows what I've done. But here's a problem with that. The Bible says, he that covers his sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. God knew what had happened in that moment. What I want you to see is that he was at a place of sinning because he was disregarding God's plan. He knew what God called him to do. He knew God's purpose for him. And yet by his actions, it's almost like he's spitting in the face of God. God, I will do what I want. I want to be with that woman. I don't care what you said about these touching a dead. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna take of this honey. I'm gonna enjoy it till my heart's content. God, this is what I am going to do. This whole story may seem strange to us today, but I'm just trying to show us what happens when we disregard and look down upon the things that God has called us to do. Samson was saying, God, I'll do what I want to do. He was more concerned about his pleasures than the plan of God. And did you know, even still today in 2019, 
We still do that. There are many ways and many situations and many things in our own life that by our own actions, we are doing the same thing. We're looking at God in essence and we're saying, God, I am more concerned about my own pleasures than I am your plan. In fact, many of us, by the way that we commit certain sins or by the way we omit certain things God called us to do, we're showing that we value our pleasures over God's plan. We show, for example, that we value our pleasures over God's plan when we give into sexual relationships outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. We show that we value our pleasures over God's plan when we begin to let our eyes uh, pursue things and look upon things and our mind dwell upon things that are not pleasing to God. We show that we prioritize our pleasures over God's plan every time we try to cover up our sin and act as if nothing is wrong. We show that we're valuing our pleasure over God's plan every time we say no to something that God has called us clearly to do. It led him to a choice of sin. The third thing we see then about this context of sin is that it leads us very clearly to a disobedience of God. Now remember James chapter one literally says this simple statement, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. In other words, when we give in to the lusts of our flesh, when we value our pleasures over the plan and the calling of God, it leads us to a place not just of mental mind games, no, it leads us to a place of action, to a place of disobedience to the things of God. According to 1 John 2, verse 16, that's what Samson is doing. He's living by the lust of the flesh. He's living by the lust of the eyes. He's living by the boastful pride of life. And that is not from God. That's where Samson was. Judges chapter 14 and 15, we see that clearly as, as he loses control of his tongue and he says a bunch of things that are foolish. We see that clearly as he loses his temper and he's trying to get back at people. But ultimately, it brought him to a place where he lost his testimony. Now, remember... Samson's name means sunshine or brightness. But instead of being the light that God had called him to be, instead of being the brightness that God had called him to be, instead of delivering the people like God had called him to, instead, we find Samson rejecting God's plan, turning to his own ways, and now being left to himself to figure out what is right and wrong. Please understand this morning, when we reject God's plan, we are left to ourselves to try to redefine what is right and moral. In Samson's life, nowhere is that more true than in the way that we study his relationships with women. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh and I'm not trying to be cruel, but I do want to explain clearly what was happening in Samson's life in that moment. Judges chapter 14, the Bible tells us that even though this was not God's will, and even though his parents warned him against this, he did what he wanted to do, and he took a Philistine woman as his wife. He went to her hometown, he had the marriage feast and celebration, and there he was enjoying the festivities, when shockingly, the Bible says that she tricked him. She deceived him in something. And he was angry. I mean, this is a big honeymoon spat, okay? He's angry. He's upset. And so he leaves where she's at, and he kind of walks through these situations in his mind, and he's trying to process it all. And several weeks later, he comes back to gain his wife back to himself. And the Bible says whenever he comes back, he found that she'd already married someone else. He was upset. You don't upset the strongest man who ever lived, okay? Okay. The Bible says that he was so infuriated, he was so angry in that moment that he did some crazy drastic things and the end result is this. Literally, he completely scorched, completely burned all the grain crops of the Philistines and they were furious. But they knew they couldn't defeat Samson, so you know what they did? The Philistine people turned against his wife, their own woman, and they killed her and her father which set Samson in a further rage. Interestingly enough, the next time we read of Samson in Judges chapter 15, he no longer has a wife. She is no longer there. She is dead. In Judges chapter 15, he goes to a city called Gaza, where again, he turns to a woman, but this time he turns to a prostitute. And the context of the scripture is, is that this was an ongoing thing. This is a repeated pattern in his life. He goes to the prostitute there on in Gaza. And then that relationship comes to an end. And then he goes to another Philistine woman who is named by the name of Delilah. So literally his digression, if you will, is that he went from a Philistine wife to a Philistine prostitute to now a Philistine lover. 
He said, Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying that sin always leads us in a downward spiral, a downward path of destruction. In his disobedience to God, he kept spiraling from one situation to another, one sinful act to another. Somebody said, oh, Pastor, that would never be me. I would never be Samson. I would never be on a path like that. That would never be me. Please understand this morning. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The New Testament says it this way, take heed, be careful lest you fall. In other words, guard your heart. You don't know what you would do in those moments. You must be faithful to walk with God and let the Holy Spirit guide you, direct you, and convict you. Samson was in a place where he was disobedient to God. It's what led him finally to a place where we often can be, and that is we deceive ourselves. It leads us to Judges chapter 16 to our text today because here is Samson. He gets to the scene. Now, please, man, oh my goodness, there have been movies, books, uh, uh, theatrical productions, poems, all written describing Samson and Delilah. Please understand, Samson's issues began long before Delilah. Samson gets to this relationship with Delilah. Judges chapter 16. Here's a simple fact of the matter. I'm reading Judges chapter 16. Samson has already been tricked by his first wife. He's been tricked by the Philistines on numerous occasions. He gets to the situation with Delilah. And Samson, once again, is in a vulnerable place. And I have to be honest, as I'm reading this pastor scripture, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm reminded that in the midst even of our bad decision, in the midst of even our pain sometimes, God is sovereignly working through circumstances to accomplish his purposes. Here is Samson in this situation with Delilah, and he has gotten to a place, frankly, where he thinks he can do what he wants without any consequences. God had been so faithful to work in his life and to work through his life. God had been so faithful to get rid of some of the Philistines, even in these terrible, sinful situations, that Samson was now at a place where he felt like he could do whatever he wanted without consequences. And sometimes we get there. Sometimes we think what people don't know won't hurt them. Sometimes we think we can do this thing in, act, in quiet and, and in private and nobody will ever know. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. Here is Samson. And the scene is unfolding with Delilah. And I'm reading this and I'm wanting to look at Samson and say like, wake up, dude. Like I'm looking at the situation and Delilah's like, tell me, Samson, what is the source of your strength? And oh, you gotta get these kind of bands and tie them up and then, and then I'll be gone. All my strength will be gone. And so she wakes him up. The Philistines are here, Samson, he gets up, he breaks them. He had lied to her. He tricked her. Oh, Samson, tell me again, what is the true source of your strength? Oh, you need seven new ropes. Tie them around me. So she does. He falls asleep. She ties them around him and he wakes him up. Hey, the Philistines are here. And he gets up, he breaks them again. This happens three times. I'm reading this like in slow motion and I'm thinking, Samson, don't be stupid. Right? Samson, how, how can you be this gullible, dude? Like, this is crazy. Like, Samson, wake up. Don't you realize what she's trying to do? But here's the reality. His desire for Delilah made him dumb to what was really going on. Forgive, forgive my frank language here, but sin has a way of making people stupid. How, how could they have done that? How, how could they have been in that situation? What happened here? Sin has a way of blinding our eyes and making us, putting us in a place where we make foolish decisions. I'm reading this to the Samson. I'm like, Samson, don't you know? Don't you know what's going on? Samson is so desirous of Delilah and so self-deceived that he literally can't see what is right in front of his face. And so finally she comes to him. Oh, she puts on the big charm now. How do you say, how could you possibly say you love me? If you love me, you'll tell me the true source. You'll tell me every one of your hearts. Is if you truly love me, you would tell it all, Samson. And the Bible says literally, she wears him down. She keeps pressing on him. She keeps pressing on him. She keeps pressing him to the point that literally he says his soul was annoyed to death. It literally means his soul was so irritated. He was so worn down that he finally just gave in. 
this is not the main point of the message, but can I just say to you right now, there are many situations and things in our life that we put ourselves in where we are being tempted and we are being uh, attacked. And if we continue to allow those things in our life, we will eventually get worn down and probably say yes to them. If you're, if you're in a dating relationship and someone is pressing you to do things physically that you know are not pleasing to God, if you don't end that relationship, you will get worn down. And if you go ahead and say yes or even say I do, it's not gonna stop just because you do. Christian, if you're in a relationship with friends and people are gossiping and people are critical and they're backbiting and all these different things, listen, I'm telling you, it's gonna wear you down. And the very things that you hate, if you don't distance yourself from them, eventually you're gonna be doing them yourself. Samson in this moment was worn down. And finally he began to disclose to her the reason he was so strong. Please understand, Samson was not strong because of his hair. The source of his strength was God. His hair was just the outward sign of it. So finally he tells her, well, I've been a Nazarite devoted to God my entire life. If someone shaves my hair, I'll lose my strength and be like any other man. Which brings me secondly to the consequences of sin. I've got to move quickly in these final two points, but please don't miss them. Verse 21, listen to what the Bible says. Judges 16 tells us the sad story. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze chains and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice for they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Please understand this morning, the scripture is clear and it is true. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. There are consequences of sin. And in Samson's life, there are very severe consequences of sin. Now, Delilah did to Samson what Satan does to us. She enticed him, she pressured him, she betrayed him, and then she left him condemned to suffer the consequences of it. Satan does the same in our own life. He entices us to do something that we know we shouldn't do. He pressures us to conform to it. He promises that it will be grand, but in the end, he betrays us and leaves us condemned to die in our sin. What were the consequences? There are four listed in the text. Number one, the Bible says they took him and they physically blinded him. They literally, this is kind of grotesque, gouged out his eyes. He could no longer see. The truth of the matter is, Samson was spiritually blinded long before he was physically blinded. And what's true of him physically in that context of the consequences is true of us spiritually. When we continue giving in to sin, one of our first consequences is that it blinds us. We don't see how it's truly impacting us. We don't see all that it's robbing from us. We can't see the end result of how it's going to affect others. It blinds us. Not only that, but the Bible says the consequence of his sin is that they bound him. They bound him in bronze chains. He no longer had the freedom to come and go as he wanted to do. He no longer had the freedom to walk in victory. He no longer had the freedom to do the things that, 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 that would have been pleasing to God in that moment when he had freedom. No, now he's bound literally in chains. Did you know when we keep giving into our sin, yes, it blinds us, but it also binds us. That's why Romans chapter six, when it refers to those who continually practice sin, it refers to them as being slaves to sin. It binds us, it literally restricts us, it holds us in bondage. But the third consequence of that sin is not only that it blinded him or that it burdened him or that it binded him, but it put an excessive burden on him. The Bible says literally he was grinding in the prison, grinding at the millstone. You know who that job was left for in that day? Donkeys. Because of his sin, he is now in the prison doing the work of an animal. He's in a place literally where the burden, literally, and the weight and the task is heavily upon him. It was exhausting. It was an overwhelming burden. But the saddest consequence of his sin 
was that his sin brought great reproach on the name of God. His eyes, they put chains, they put chains literally on him. And so here he is chained and he's pushing, he's pushing around the grinding mill. He's pushing around the millstone as he's grinding up these things. And literally the Bible says that the, the Philistines, they gather together in their temple to worship the God Dagon. Now that sounds so innocent to us, but remember the Philistines had hundreds of gods. Why did they worship Dagon? Why did they look to Dagon and say, we thank you that Samson has been captured and he no longer has strength. We thank you, Dagon. You know why? Because Dagon was the false god of grain. What did Samson destroy the first time he got mad at the Philistines? Grain. In other words, Samson's actions and therefore his capture and his fall, it led them further away from the God of heaven. Instead, they're looking at their false God and they're saying, we know that you're the true God, Dagon. Look at how you've avenged yourself. Look at how you've allowed us to capture this man who worships the God of Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. We know that his God is not true because you have given us the victory. In other words, the sinful actions of Samson led the people further away from the truth of who God is. Truth be told, in our own lives today, believers, when we think we can live however we want to, do whatever we want to, our life brings the same type of reproach on the name of Christ. It grieves me. It grieves me as we hear news and reports of pastors and ministry leaders and others who have, who have fallen and done things that have been displeasing to God, it grieves me because it not only brings great pain to them and not only brings great pain to their family, but ultimately it brings pain to the very name of God. Maybe you're here this morning and say, wait a second, pastor. Time out, time out. I thought this message was about faith and trusting God. All we've heard about so far is a guy who greatly messed up and blew it. The message is about faith and it is about trusting God because of the final chapter. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this, and we'll be closing in just a moment. I want you to consider for a moment the conviction to turn away from sin. Remember, God was the source of Samson's strength. And even though they took out his eyes and even though they put chains on him and even though they made a mockery of him and they ridiculed him and they made him entertain them and made sport of him, the Bible tells us an interesting statement in verse 22 and that was that even there in that prison, his hair began to grow again. It's a reminder and just kind of a glimpse to say, hello, Samson was in prison. He had totally messed everything up. He'd blown it big time, but God was still with him. And God still had a plan. And we see it unfold in verse 28. Now picture the scene for a moment. 3,000 of the greatest, most powerful Philistine leaders were all gathered in that house that day, watching Samson, mocking him, mocking him to God, ridiculing him, 3,000. Listen, if there was ever anyone who in this situation, if there was ever anyone that would feel hopeless, it was Samson. Here's a guy who has no reason to think that God could do anything in his life. Here's a guy who's literally at the end of his rope, so to speak. Here's a guy who has no reason to think God could do anything. He has literally spat in the face of God. He has rejected the ways of God. He's done whatever he wanted to do. But listen to the turning point in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Up to this point, Samson's doing whatever he wants to do. Up to this point, he's turning to whatever pleased him. Up to this point, he's thinking there's no consequence for his actions. Up to this point, he's doing whatever pleased him. But now in this moment of desperation, he realizes the weight of his sin. He's aware of the pain that has brought him. He's aware of the pain that has brought his mama and his daddy. He's aware of the pain that has brought to the people who are looking for a deliverer. He's aware of the pain that his sin has brought to a holy God. And I believe in this moment what's happening is this. He's looking to 
God in a place of brokenness. And he's looking to God in a place of humility. And he's saying, God, would you remember me? God, would you forgive me? I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm unworthy. I know the things that I've done have not been pleasing to you. But he dared to have faith that God would remember him and that God could forgive him. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Samson in this moment where there was no other hope, in this moment, he knew his only hope was God. And so he looked up to God and he finally sought God. And in essence, through his actions, he is saying, God, would you forgive me? He dared to have faith that God would forgive him. And he dared to have faith that in spite of all that he'd done wrong, that even then, God could still work through him. So he looks, oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. Look at verse 29. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he braced himself against them the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He knew the consequences of his sin were still there. He bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is this. When Samson dared to believe that God could forgive him, when he dared to believe that God could still work through him in spite of all that he had done, in spite of all the pain that he'd caused, in spite of all the sinful actions that had occurred, when he dared to believe that even in that moment, God could still work through him, God showed up. And God answered in such a way that he showed, he accepted Samson's prayer and he honored Samson's faith. God moved in such a way that in this final moment, God did more to destroy the Philistines than he had done in all the moments of Samson's life up to this point. You want to know how great and powerful God is? Here's how great and powerful he is. What Satan meant for evil to destroy Samson, God overruled it and he worked it for good to get rid and destroy the Philistine army. In fact, it would be many years later that ultimately the Philistines would be removed and would be gone. But the source of it all went back to a day there as the people gathered to mock the God of heaven. And God heard the cry and the prayer of someone who repented and had faith in him. And that day God destroyed 3,000 of the primary leaders amongst the Philistines. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Never underestimate what God can do when you have the faith to believe that God can forgive you and work mightily through you for his glory. Never underestimate what God can do when you have the faith to believe that he can forgive you and can work through you for his glory. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. There are many of us here today who live in this place of defeat and discouragement because of sins that we've committed and things that we've done. And we question whether God could ever forgive us of our sin. And through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, God said loud and clear that your sins and mine have been paid for. We must simply believe in him, repent of our sin and turn to him. But there are many of us here today, maybe been saved for a long time and we still question God ever use me? Pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat in a counseling situation where someone has said, because of A, B, C, D, and E, I don't think God could ever use me. I mean, I, I made a mess of things. It, it, Pastor, it was bad and people are broken and there's moments, could, could God ever use me? If God could use Samson, to accomplish his purposes. I want you to know something. God can use you. But you must have faith to believe that he'll forgive. And you must have faith to believe that he can use you. Samson was there in his final moment. 
And in that moment, he made it count because he put his faith in God. Truth be told, I don't know how many moments we have left in life. I'd love to think we all have a ton of moments. We're all gonna live to be 100 and life's gonna be glorious and grand. I don't know how many more moments you have. But I do know this. For God's glory and for the sake of eternity, we better make the moments count. And the way we make that moment count today is by believing in God in His Son, Jesus, so that we're forgiven of our sins and cleansed. And believing that God loves us enough that in spite of the ways that we've been like Samson, He still wants to work through us. Do we deserve it? No. Did God use Samson because of His ability and skill and No, God worked through him for his own glory. And he does the same in ours when we have the faith to trust him, even when we've messed up. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.